And thank you, Ben and Carla. I just encourage everyone to memorize the Ten Commandments. They're useful to us. You know, they're useful uh, for a number of reasons. And I want to tell you a little story. Uh, during the Reformation, which was uh, just a time in the church when things were being restored and people were really coming back to the Bible, uh, Martin Luther had left the church, and the princes in Germany wanted to, the church to be strong. So they sent him around to the churches, and they said, let's investigate the church. Let's see how they're doing. And when he went around to the churches and saw the spiritual state of the clergy and the laity, he was very, very distraught. It was not good. Uh, the Bible was available in German, but it wasn't largely available. So he said, how do we help? And he put together his smaller catechism, and he started with the Ten Commandments. Why? Because remember what, what uh, Matt said earlier in worship, the Ten Commandments show our need for a Savior. And then he, and the next section was the Gospel, of course. But he also knew that when, after we came to Christ and, and had the Spirit living in us, and we knew that we were forgiven for our sins, we needed the Ten Commandments to guide us in how to live. Kind of like a blueprint for life. I know J.I. Packer coined that phrase, but Martin Luther saw that and believed that many years ago. So if, if you're with us this morning, if you would please turn with me to Exodus 20. We're going to finish the Ten Commandments series with commandment number 10. And I'm going to do what Mark did last week. I'm going to start with Exodus 21 and 2. And, the, and God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt out of the house of slavery. And then Exodus 20, verse 17. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything else that is your neighbor's. Exodus 20, 17. Today we're going to look at three questions. Uh, they're questions that have been used throughout the series. What does the Tenth Commandment forbid? What does the Tenth Commandment reveal? And what does the Tenth Commandment require? We'll start with what is it forbid and it's not a difficult one to understand this is not one of the more complicated we're not to desire other people's stuff we're not to set our affections on other people's stuff whether it be their house their spouse their servants their ox or their donkey i mean that one probably doesn't tempt us quite so much uh, but if you think of an agrarian society things that show prestige and and, and status it might think of things like a car or a bank account or their talents that enable them. The ox was something that enabled them to make money, and it showed that they were wealthy. So things like that. We're not to, we're not to covet and desire our neighbor's stuff. And if there's any doubt of what it included, you can see that the commandment ends with this, or anything else that is your neighbor. So it, it's comprehensive. And the word covet means this. It means to long after to desire, to crave, to yearn deeply for something that belongs to another, to want what someone else has. It's basically a desire that's run amok. You know, um, it leads us to want something that somebody else has, or, or it can be a desire that becomes so strong that we actually demand it from God, and if we don't get it, we won't be happy. We won't satis be satisfied, and we won't worship Him. And even though it's easy to understand... I think this is a kind of a, more of a, a subtle and elusive kind of sin to, to see in our lives. It's, it's more difficult to see. How, how many times have you actually been in a community group where you actually heard someone say, I want to confess the sin of coveting? How many times have you done that? How many, I, I, for my life, it's not a regular thing, and I think it's an elusive sin. But I think it's very pervasive, and we'll see that as we, we look at it, because the world is ordered in such a way, actually, 
it's designed to, in a sense, cultivate coveting in our lives. If you think about it, even in this time, what do we spend a lot of time doing? What do many of us spend a lot of time doing during this time? Social media. And if you think about Pinterest, Instagram, Facebook, all the different social medias, you know, I, I'm, not, I'm not sure about you, but I rarely see a sink full of dishes in a picture on Instagram. You rarely see, unless it's a funny one, uh, a baby crying or uh, just conflict happening. And in Instagram, everybody's lives look so orderly. They look so joyful. And I look at those things. Sometimes they, they show things that they have. And, and you know what? I don't know about you, but for me, my meals, the ones that I cook, they don't look like an Instagram picture. I try, but they don't. But these pictures, they show people happy. They show people life. Uh, living lives, Pinterest, you know, you, you see men in amazing clothes, and boy, I want to I get that. Or a living room that looks un, un, unbelievably impeccable. My living room doesn't look like that. I have a friend who was telling me recently, you know, he bought a car, and um, it's a nice car. It's a, it's a used car because he wanted to be a wise steward, a good steward. And, uh, but he got, got a good deal on it, but it's a nice car, and he was very happy with it. He really he liked his new car. And then his neighbor got the same car, but it was this year's model, and it was the LEX model, the super deluxe one, and it had leather seats, it had a sunroof, and as he walked by that car, he started to think, wouldn't it be really nice to have leather seats and a sunroof, you know? That's the way our hearts are. They're just designed to go after things that aren't hearts. When we see nice things, we want them. You know, I, I don't know if you've seen that Lincoln commercial with Matthew McConaughey. I drove a Lincoln before I was paid to drive a Lincoln. And I'm, I'm kind of like, I watched that commercial, like, I want to be cool like Matthew McConaughey. I want to drive a Lincoln. But you know what? Even though our hearts are running to desires, our desires aren't necessarily bad. In fact, God made us with desires. Desires are not forbidden. Actually, desires are good because the world is filled with good things. And it's not bad for you to desire good clothes or good food or... or, or a pleasant life. Those are not bad desires. And actually, God made us with desires so we can be like Him. We can, when we desire what He desires and we live for what He wants us to live for, we actually can image Him. We can be like Him and live for Him in our lives. It's when our desires don't line up with God's that we begin to covet. And we see this all around us. We see it in our own lives, too. It's, it's when we are not satisfied by the boundaries of our sexuality that's when we turn to pornography. When we, when we want stuff we can't afford, that's when we live beyond our means and we pile up consumer debt. And um, if you compare desires to a river, I think, you know, I think of the mighty Mississippi. It, it brings so much life to the cities that grow around it. It's, it's, it's a, a great gift. And yet, when it exceeds its boundaries, it causes great devastation and harm. Our desires can be like that. When they're in the right boundaries, they can provide joy and sustenance and good things. And they can lead us to do good things and be happy in God and content in God. But when they exceed their boundaries and they start to go after things they're not to go after, they can cause great devastation and harm. But the thing that we want to remember is God has given us desires and he's made us to enjoy things. That's why his word says this, God richly provides us with everything to enjoy. 
God richly, he wants us to enjoy life. But the problem, it's not our desire. It's the strength of our desire and the object of our desire. We covet when we want something that hasn't been given to us by God. And we're not satisfied with what we have. We want something different than he's given to us. And you know, coveting has primarily two kind of expressions, if you will. It's when we want something, the plain one that we've been talking about that doesn't belong to us. But it's also another side of, it, of covetousness. It's, it's an expression of our unwillingness to worship God and to trust him to provide for us. He's made us. He's given us talents and abilities. He's called us to live and work and work heartily unto him to use our lives for his glory. But frequently in Scripture, the idolatry of covetousness is associated with greed. And sometimes greed and that kind of covetousness is just pure, just I want stuff. I want better stuff. I want nice stuff. But other times it's, it's an unwillingness to trust that in the God of the universe is going to provide for us. Um, and you see that when, when we, that you see expressions of this in our lives. And I, I think we are probably all are familiar with this at some point or another in our lives where we work too much. And we neglect the things that God calls us to give our lives to in addition to work, our spiritual lives. We, we neglect our spiritual lives. We neglect our families, uh, relationships. Um, and and we, we hoard money because we think that's going to save us. Money is going to protect us. And we, 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 we want to build our IRA till we can be sure we're going to have a good retirement. And, and another sign of it is we cease to be generous to those in need. And we cease to, to give to God's kingdom and God's purposes. Those are signs of greed and covetousness. And you know what? Probably all of us can identify with this sin. <laughs> but um, our, because our desires have run outside the stream beds, the sins in our hearts. But we want to turn to the second question now. Because uh, how is the commandment, you shall not covet, designed to serve us this morning? How is it designed to serve you and me this morning? Well, the, the final commandment begins where the first commandment, or ends where the first commandment begins. Uh, it, it starts at, it's, it, begins, it ends in the heart, right? The commandment addresses our hearts. Commandments 2 through 9, we're largely addressing behavior. Commandment 1, thou shalt have no other gods before me, is largely a heart commandment as well. So the tenth commandment actually is addressing what's behind the other nine commandments, the desires that manifest themselves in behaviors because wrong desire is at the root of all sin commandment 10 deals with what's going on inside of us coveting is a heart sin and it applies to all the previous nine take the act of adultery for example jesus spoke of this in matthew 6 adultery doesn't just spontaneously happen it starts with thinking about and desiring something that we shouldn't have and then making plans in our mind, and then it springs out into action. The same thing with anger that leads to murder. What Commandment 10 reveals is that God cares about our hearts as well as our behavior. It's not just enough for us as human beings to outwardly conform to God. Inwardly, he wants us to conform to his, his desires. He, he wants us to, to, to know what he's after in our hearts and what Commandment 10 ultimately does is it shows us and proves to us that we can't keep the Ten Commandments. If we had any doubt, 
You know, if we only had the first nine, we might have some degree of confidence that we are actually pretty good commandment keepers. But commandment 10 reveals our need for a savior more thoroughly than all the other nine. And, and, and you see this in Jesus' life. There was a time when, when a, a rich young man came to him in, Matthew, in Mark chapter 10. And he, he thought pretty highly of himself, this young man. He said, good teacher. And he asked a question probably, you know, and if you're here watching this morning and maybe you, you don't have a personal relationship with Christ, this question will be of interest to you. He said, good teacher, what might I do to inherit eternal life? It's a good question, right? You want to know. How, do, how can I know and have confidence that, that I'm going to have an experience life after death? That's a big question. And um, Jesus responded to him um, in an interesting way. He said, don't call me good. Only God is good. Because he wanted to, he was, wanted to get the idea that you're good by your behavior out of there. And, and God's ultimately the measure of good. And then he says this to him. See if you recognize these words. He said, you know the commandments. He said, you shall not murder. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. Don't defraud your neighbor. And you should honor your father and mother. Ten commandments, right? Not all of them, but it's, it's quite a few of them. And the, the young man said this. He said, I've kept these from my youth. A stunning statement. <laughs> I've kept these from my This guy, this guy, is the, he's a good guy. He probably is in the best clubs in his community. I mean, his kids obey. He's got taken care of his, his house and his yard. I mean, this is, and he's thinking, I'm doing a lot of good stuff. I really deserve eternal life. And Jesus then tells him something. He knew his heart. Now, we don't know people's hearts, but he knew this man's heart was coveting, and he was trusting in his riches. And so Jesus said to him, if you want eternal life, get rid of your possessions, give to the poor, and come and follow me. You want eternal life, you need to follow me. You need to have me above all your possessions. And it says the man went away sad because he loved all that he had. And that's the danger of wealth. It's the danger of riches. It's the same danger of covetousness, owning our hearts. It begins to lead us away from God and towards the things of this earth. You know, what Commandment 10 reveals is, is quite powerful. Um, it reveals that God desires our desires. He really cares about what's going on in our hearts. And he wants us not to give in to coveting, but to worship him. That's why Jesus says, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also, Matthew 6, 21. And then he warns, he warns us. Listen to this warning to us this morning. The cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke out the word you you want to choke out the word of god in your life give yourself into the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches let them rule your heart and it'll choke out the word in your life and that's why jesus says this he says be on your guard against all covetousness for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions even if you thought you were doing pretty good when you read the other nine commandments which one of us has not set our desires on something we should not have and coveted it? Which one of us? I, I know I have. Which one of us has not longed for security in our bank accounts and said, boy, if I could just get a little bit more in retirement? I know I have. Which one of us has not longed to have the looks or the abilities of another and thinking, boy, I could serve the Lord better if I had those? I know I have. 
Which one of us has not walked through the mall or been online and seen something that looked good to our eyes and we really wanted? Probably shouldn't spend it. It's not in our budget. And we just go and buy it anyway. I know I have. Which one of us has not looked inappropriately at someone else and desired after them? I know I have. See, this commandment reveals every one of us have broken God's law. There's, that's one of the purposes of the law. It's to show us our need for a Savior, as Matt said this morning. And that's why Paul writes to the Romans, whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world accountable to God. For by the works of the law, no human being will be justified. No human being will be made right with God. No human being will be saved from their sins and having to pay for their sins, since through the law comes the knowledge of sin. We can't keep any of the commandments, but the Tenth Commandment shows us in a powerful way. And, you know, that can leave us hopeless. And that's not the intention of God's Word, because, you see, if you look down the corridors of time, if you, if you, could, if you could have a telescope that could show the corridors of time, you would see the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit had this plan that the second person of the Trinity would come to earth and he would take human form. And it says in Scripture that he'd become obedient. That means he kept the law. He kept it perfectly. He never once disobeyed one command. So he was innocent, the only innocent human being ever to live. And he didn't just live. He died and suffered on a cross. And he, there he broke the power of of sin and death and he was raised from the dead so now when people look to him and believe in him the things that they can't do we look at the Ten Commandments we can't keep these things it's impossible to keep them but when we look to Jesus and we trust in him he gives us a new heart listen to what he says he says because think of this like you're thirsty if, if you know you're a sinner you know you need a savior you're thirsting for salvation how is that thirst going to be quenched. Well, Jesus, standing up during the great feast, he says, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. When you trust in Jesus, he makes you new and he breaks the power of sin. He pays the penalty for it and he breaks its power so it no longer has dominion over you. And brothers and sisters, friends, if you're watching this morning and you haven't trusted in Christ, I urge you this morning to do that. You cannot keep the commands well enough to earn your way to eternal life. If you think you are, you're like that rich young ruler, and you're trusting in something other than God to save you. So I urge you. And our final point, we have one more point here, and it, I ask you to stay with me because it's really important for Christians and non-Christians too. But it's this, it, it, it's this, it's going to have this effect on you. If you don't know Christ, it's going to be a burden on your back because you can't do it. But if you do know Christ, it's the source of joy and contentment. So here's our third point. What does the Tenth Commandment require? And this is from the Westminster Shorter Catechism. What is required? The Tenth Commandment requires us to be completely satisfied with our own status in life and to have a proper loving attitude towards others and their possessions. It's a pretty, pretty, pretty big requirement. What's forbidden in the Tenth Commandment? Well, the Tenth Commandment forbids any dissatisfaction with what belongs to us, any envy or grief at the success of others, 
and all improper desire for anything that belongs to someone else. You know, if you've been with us during this series, and if you haven't, I urge you to go back and watch some of the messages. They're really excellent. But we've learned that behind every negative command is a positive. You know, when we're not to bear false witness, we're to be truth tellers. When we're not to murder, we're to desire the good of our neighbor. Well, the sin of coveting is displaced by the grace of contentment. It is, we are to be completely satisfied with all that God has for us and provides for us. And that's the grace that replaces covetousness. Because covetousness is demanding something from God that he hasn't given to us. And so when we covet money, we're actually serving other gods. We're saying these things, these money, these possessions, these relationships that we want, we want regardless of whether God wants it for us. It's like saying, we don't like the way you're ruling over us now, God. We think we know how to rule over our lives better. You said no to this, but we want it, and we want it now. When we covet, we're saying to God, you're not big enough for me. Let me ask you. Are you happy? Are you content and giving thanks to God for all that he's done in your life right now? You know, many of us, our thoughts run to, well, if I just had a different body, if I just had a different uh, mind or a different set of gifts, if I had someone else's personality, then I could really serve God. I could give my life. To, I could really be useful to God. But because of the way God's made me now, I'm not that useful. Maybe if, if I just had more money. Oh, then I'd be really useful to God. But right now, I just can't because I've I got to get more money. Sometimes it could be something as good as a spouse. If I was only married, then I could really serve God. And it can work the other way, too. We can say, well, God, if you haven't given me this husband, then I could really serve you. It's this husband that keeps me from serving God. We do it to our wives. If my wife didn't act differently, then I could really serve God. We start to desire things that God hasn't given us. And we're not happy with God's rule and reign in our universe and that's why coveting is breaking the first commandment of you shall have no other gods before me as well. It's that serious. And I like what Phil Riken says about this. He says this, if we make the basis of our contentment anything in the world, we will always find some excuse to make ourselves miserable. Our problem is not on the outside. It's on the inside. And therefore, it will never be solved by getting more of what we think we want. So here's the question. How do we cultivate contentment? You know, I wish I could say to you, you can cultivate contentment by just coming into church, we'll lay hands on you, and you'll receive the gift of contentment. That would be easy, right? Like a spiritual gift. But that's not what Scripture teaches about how we cultivate contentment. If you look in Philippians chapter 4, there the Apostle Paul says, I have learned contentment. I have learned to be content in plenty and in want. He says, it's not just a quick process. It's, 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 it's something that's learned. And, and that's how we grow in contentment. We must learn it. Paul learned it through a long practice of worshiping God for who he is and thanking him for whatever he gave him. It was a long practice of worshiping God and giving thanks for what he did. And how did he do that? Well, he had an affection that exceeded his desires. Look what it says with me in Philippians 3. Paul says this, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ 
that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings. You know, Paul learned contentment by discovering the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus. When he met him on that road, he called him into his service. He had been trusting in his performance and his power. But when he met Jesus Christ and he was transformed inwardly, he knew he had resurrection power working in his life, and now he could live and give his life to Christ regardless. And he suffered a great deal. Persecution, beating, prison, hunger. And he learned contentment by trusting in Christ and treasuring Christ through every step of the way. Now, we're not all called to have all those kind of things happen in our life, and I'm thankful for that. We're not all going to go and start churches around the world and hunger and be beaten and put in prison, but some of us may. But how do we learn contentment now, today? Well, a good friend of mine wrote me this week, and he's a friend. He really cares about me, and he said, how are you doing? And you know what I said to him? I said, you know what? I don't like my life right now. I don't like um, not seeing my friends regularly. I don't like um, sitting at my kitchen table most days except for going for walks. I don't like not going to the store. I don't like not going out to lunch with people in the church or going to community group. Or um, I don't like not visiting people when they're in the hospital. I said, I don't like very much about my life right now. But then I said to him, but you know what? I'm finding out something during this time that's quite remarkable. I was preparing this message, so I, w I had an advantage. <laughs> I said, I'm learning contentment. And as I keep turning my desires back over to God, I'm learning to cultivate contentment. I'm not naturally a content person, but I'm giving it back to God and saying, thank you, God, because you know what? Discontentment and thankfulness do not easily live together. And cultivating thankfulness to God for what he's given us and the context he's given us and all that's going on in our lives, the relationships in our lives, because he's working those things for our good. If you know God and you're trusting in him and you're worshiping him, you can trust him to use your circumstances for your good so that you can grow in your affection and that you can cherish and know what Paul knew, the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, his Lord, you know. He had a lot of treasures before that, but as the hymnist says, the things of this world grew strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. So how do we, how do we cultivate contentment, especially now? Just give you a thought here. I just encourage you to read his word regularly and discover the glories of Jesus Christ. Treasure him. Worship him. Give thanks to him for all he's done and all he's doing right now. Give him thanks for all he's given you. You know, nobody can take the Lord away from you. What he's given you is yours forever. We have a blueprint for our lives now. We know how we're supposed to, to live. And yet, we know we can't. God has provided a Savior for us. We are to treasure him and to love him. It's not perfect. It's not smooth. We stumble. We fall. But as one writer says, it's a long obedience in the same direction. And that's what we're after. Enjoy Christ. Find your satisfaction in him. Love the Lord Jesus with all your heart. What an opportunity. You know, no one can take the treasure of Jesus Christ away from you. So don't covet, but be content because God desires your desires. He desires your desires, and he's provided a way for you to have desires after him and like him. So let's pray. 
Heavenly Father, we're just so grateful to you that you didn't leave us in need of a Savior, but you sent your Son because you loved us so much. And Lord, I just pray for everyone watching right now. If someone has not trusted in you and turned their life over to you, for those that are watching and are struggling with contentment in this pandemic, Lord, we just acknowledge we don't know what's going to happen. We don't know what is going to happen in the days ahead. We, we, things could go from bad to worse, but we trust you for the future, Lord. We trust you for the present, and we trust you for the future, Lord. May we open our hearts to give thanks to you, and may we be vessels for your glory in this world today, serving you with gladness and generous hearts. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. Amen. God bless you.